This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Let it bump, though. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you this time once again without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey, but I am incredibly pleased to be joined by Chris Krause, who is a writer for Hoops Rumors. He has also been published and regularly gets published at CNBC, and he is also an NBA math writer as well. He is here to talk some Sixers. He has intimate knowledge of this team. And as we, this season at Hardware Knox, try and commit ourselves to getting more than just mine and Andy's national perspective or other people's national perspectives from teams, we're trying to do some deeper dives every once in a while. Hopefully you will appreciate these. We've already had Mason Ginsburg on to talk about the Pelicans. And now we have Chris Krause, on to talk some Sixers who, like the Pelicans, to me, are one of the most fascinating teams in the NBA right now. Before we get started, please be sure to follow Chris on Twitter at CW underscore Kraus, spelled C-R-O-U-S-E. You can also, or you cannot also, we're actually just going to encourage you to please continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Hardwood Knox on iTunes. You can get us anywhere else you consume your podcasts, including Spotify, Blog Talk, Spreaker, iHeart, just the whole nine. We're everywhere, but iTunes is the best way to help out the podcast right now. Please, 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 pretty please with extra sugar on top. Joel Embiid would probably appreciate that, but take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day. Um, search Hardwood Knocks on iTunes. Throw us a rating. Leave your review. And if you have not subscribed, definitely already do that. And if you have subscribed, we encourage you to please help other people find out about us or just steal their phones and subscribe them and rate us from there. They'll thank you later. Now it's time to get into the Sixers, but but before we really started recording, uh, there was a tweet from Eric Sidewater of Liberty Ballers that came out that I I told Chris about, and it made me laugh. Uh, It says, Landry Landry Shamet, Joel Embiid specifically has his four Chick-fil-A cookies and cream milkshakes he requests quote for the plane ride and then eric posted the nutrition facts of four large cookies and cream milkshakes it it contains those four milkshakes contain 124 grams of fat 60 grams of which are saturated 376 grams of carbs 356 of which are sugars and then 64 grams of protein eric also wrote i don't care if you're the hulk a professional athlete should not have this as regular consumption 356 grams of sugar equal brain for equals brain frog equals turnovers before i throw it to eric uh excuse me chris i do want to note that i'm not sure and whether this quote is somewhere else i haven't seen it i'm not sure if joel b consumes all of these milkshakes at once per plane ride which would be absolutely absurd and while i know we're talking about equals turnovers um joel has actually cut his turnover rate in the post in half this season so uh yeah, I don't know if the milkshakes are causing any any miscues for the Sixers. Um, maybe this speaks to why Philadelphia remains uh, hasn't been able to win on the road yet. Maybe maybe that has something to do with it. But I mean, Chris, what what do you kind of make of of all this? It's funny, but if it's true, it's also kind of like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, Dan, thanks for having me, and uh, I must disclose that I'm not a nutritionist, but I, I would say this is not good. Uh, this is, this is, you know, the Sixers have had road woes all season, own five so far this year. And uh, I hope it's not to do with Chick-fil-A milkshakes. I mean, that would be a bad, <laughs> that would be a, a bad omen for, for the company. Chick-fil-A is great. Uh, but, uh, you know, really we don't want our superstars, uh, consuming this much, uh, this much sugar and this many calories before, uh, before road games. Uh, I have a confession to make. I have never had Chick-fil-A. 
Oh man, you're missing out. Like it, it, it they're, they're only open six days a week, but you know, that's a good time to go, go and uh, check it out. Yeah. And I was looking Joel and beads. This is, I'm going way too deep into this, but his turnover percentage on the road isn't even that bad. 9.4 turnover percentage on the road. Uh, and he's again. He's overall. He's cut down on kind of. He still gets tunnel vision when he's in the post at times, but he's cut down on his turnovers at least. Uh, and that's only a point higher than his home turnover percentage, eight point four. I'm. I mean, look. If if his his diet and his stamina have been a question since before he made his NBA debut, and the injuries have been a part of it because you don't want to overwork him in practice or necessarily have him practice at all. But I'm with you. This is not something that you want. You know, the NBA is just very all about nutrition and diet and all these just sleep uh, statistics. And in the age of analytics, just something like this, what we know about diet and rest and how traveling is already kind of uh, a hellscape on a player's body to add four milkshakes at once in one sitting to it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how how I don't know how impactful that could be. Definitely. It's not a good thing. Yeah, you hope it's a cheat meal. Um, you, you really, you really do. But are you allowed um, a cheat meal per road game? It's <laughs> <laughs> a little too frequent for a cheat meal. That becomes a regular habit. <laughs> two thousand six hundred forty calories in those four milkshakes, though, per Eric Sidewater. But that was—I thought that was a good way to start off the pod. Um, to get to actual basketball-related things, although who knows? Maybe that could be basketball-related to the Sixers. Um, they are currently, as we speak, six and five. As we said, sort of winless on the road. The defense started off kind of choppy, but has sort of rebounded. The offense has been surprisingly bad. Uh, They are 24th in points scored per 100 possessions. They're not shooting the ball well from three, under 34% from three. They're generating a good number of wide-open three-point attempts, but relative to the rest of the league, they're not hitting them at a particularly high clip, under 37%. Um, They're punting on corner threes again, like they did last year, which I guess would be fine. But what I was sort of surprised to see where they, they've fallen this season offensively is that they're just not getting as many looks at the rim as they did last year. The frequency with which they get to the rim uh, across all their field goal attempts ranks 27th in the league right now, according to cleaning the glass. And so before we dive into some specifics with them and, and players, what has been your general impression of the team this season and are you concerned uh in the big picture about the offense are you is there someone that's already on the roster like the return of Wilson Chandler that's really going to help them or or if Markel Fultz just going to get better um or and so you're not that worried or are you legitimately concerned about this up and down start to the year I think there's a lot of reasons to worry but um I mean this is a this is a team that has to take the long-term view and, you know, it's not going to happen this year. They're just not championship contenders like they, you know, they claim themselves to be. Um, you know, the, the defense, defense is there. They're a really good defensive team. But on offense, defenses are sagging off of them. They're not worried about uh, Ben Simmons' jumper. They're not worried about Markel Fultz's jumper. And that's really, like, compacting the paint. Last year when they got Ilias Ova and Bellinelli, and that really opened things up. And They're trying to do stuff like that with uh, Mike Muscala and Wilson Chandler. I mean, he played 10 minutes on Saturday. Uh, I'm not sure that those zero are zero shots, to that. four fouls uh, in in those ten minutes. That that was a hell of a stat line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it you know it'll come around, but with what they have right now, they obviously lack shooting, and uh, it, it's it's a work in progress. Their and their new starting lineup has not been good um, together on the floor. the The numbers just if you take Joel Embiid away from Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz, um, the numbers are not good. Markel Fultz by himself without Simmons or Embiid. Um, the Sixers are getting outscored by 6.7 points per 100 possessions per cleaning the glass. Um, if you take uh, Markel Fultz and Joel Embiid off the floor, Ben Simmons-led lineups are getting outscored by 11.1 points per 100 possessions. It's just not uh, – I don't really know what what to make of their performance. They were definitely overrated heading into the season, and I think I started to feel that way before the preseason tipped off, and it was – and this is, by the way, really quickly as an aside, a small sample size. When Ben Simmons and Fultz play without Embiid, the Sixers have a net rating of minus 29.1. It's a small sample size. And yet something you said is really intriguing to me and, and something I initially commended Brett Brown for when he was kind of in, in charge from a front office perspective. This team is not playing the short game. You know, these decisions, putting Markel Fultz 
in the first half starting lineup or whatever the hell they like to do. Um, that's a long-term play because you broke up what was probably the most effective starting five in basketball last year, at least statistically. Um, yeah. Trading Mikhail Bridges uh, for that 2021 Miami Heat pick and Zaire Smith, that was a long-term play, even before Smith was injured. Mikhail Bridges was supposed to be this NBA-ready rookie, exactly what the Sixers needed. Um, not really playing TJ McConnell this year as much because you want Fultz to develop as a point guard. Uh, not really going headfirst into Kawhi Leonard trade discussions before he was dealt to Toronto. That's something to commend the Sixers for is that we, the general basketball public, were probably too quick to ordain them as something they're not, and they're not a contender. But even under that context, is it still fair to kind of be concerned about this team? It's a lot of people have talked about Ben Simmons kind of plateauing. I'm not. I'm just not worried about that. Um, the Markel Fultz stuff to me is is just a little bit more troubling. Some nights he has it on defense. Most nights he doesn't. His jumper is just all kinds of off still, um, even if he's less hesitant to kind of attack the basket than he was last season. And that sort of makes you wonder, should they have been maybe more active in Kawhi Leonard negotiations and dangling him? Would that not have mattered because the Spurs – the report said weren't really interested in faults. Do you support this long-term view that the Sixers are taking? And if you do, relative to that, are, are you concerned at all then with what you've seen? Uh, you have to be a little concerned. I mean, if you start out with Ben Simmons, I mean, I think overall over the next 10 years, he's going to be a great player. But I don't see the improvement from year one to year or year two to year three uh, as you would like to see. Uh, he, he, It's not there. The shot isn't there. He's working on the post game. It's, it's a work in progress. Uh, with Fultz, you know, it, it, that is just a work in progress. And the city of Philadelphia kind of has patience with him, just like the franchise does. It's a, it's a, weird, it's a weird feeling here in Philly. It's, it, there's a sense of calm. And I don't know if it's because, you know, the Eagles just won the Super Bowl and they feel like, okay, <laughs> we see long-term things. Or if, like, Sam Hickey's process, they, they see the fruit of that labor and they're like, okay, this, things take time to, to build. And, you know, overall, but... I mean, this is a city that would have chewed him up years ago, you know, having a number one pick come in and not living up to potential. And now, you know, everything he does well, they're cheering for him. It's almost coddling to in, in a sort of a sense. But it's I mean, it's nice. It's what he it's what he needs. It's what you would want in a fan base. And it's it's really good. We have smart fans here. But, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be concerned in the short term. And, you know, it, maybe they should have been more aggressive in, in, in trading him. Maybe if they if he doesn't come around, that was definitely his high point in the summer. Right. Another team could have looked at that, looked at Fultz and said, hey, maybe we can figure a way out to, you know, get him on the court and, and get the most out of him. And it might just be an issue with him and Ben Simmons. And uh, Brett Brown's kind of figured that out. After the Milwaukee game, he's really stopped playing them together as much. They haven't played over nine minutes uh, together in the last six. And it's a, it's a team that is really just a work in progress. But they're, I think they're still missing that one piece. And I talked about this before the season, and I think everyone's well aware that uh, they're one piece away from being in the conversation, not even like one piece away from being elite, like one piece away from being someone that you should even consider, uh, you know, uh, talking about as a championship contender. Yes. Um, and I would not even to answer my own question from before, but I would have probably the Kawhi Leonard stuff is easy to look at in hindsight. And if you really down on faults, then yes, they should have traded uh, Fultz for Kawhi Leonard, but again, those reports that said that the Spurs weren't really interested in Fultz, you have to think that either A, th that was a non-option, or B, it would have required a bunch of other stuff, and you don't, again, with Leonard entering free agency and the Sixers knowing that they're not necessarily on this immediate timeline, you don't want to go in in on, in on all in on something like that. You know, when it's cap space and you're able to have signed LeBron, if he would have granted you, I mean, he gave him a meeting, but if he would have picked them, that's different, or if Paul George yeah, would have yeah. picked them. That's different, but to actually give up assets—that's kind of a different uh, sort of play. And th again, with the Sixers sort of emphasizing that long-term view, I don't think there's any harm in how they handled that process. I and some of the other things which might support them kind of turning is they're not getting the best performances from other guys that are just supposed to be automatic. Uh, JJ Redick is shooting thirty-nine percent, uh, excuse me, forty-point six percent on two-pointers. Um, Dario Saric can just not hit anything uh, from three right now. He's shooting 25% on three-pointers where a defender is four feet or more away from him. So open and wide open looks, 25%. Yeah. And he's, he's lucky that Fultz is on the team because if Fultz wasn't on the team, the story would be about him. 
it's going to get there about him if he keeps shooting like this. They're only 11 games in as we're talking, and it's still sort of becoming this bigger deal. But that's where I think the Sixers probably internally could have predicted this sort of a year from faults where I don't even know if I want to call it up and down, mostly down, but just this a struggle. I think they could have predicted that, but they were probably banking on things happening that would help them weather that storm that, oh, we can count on Dario because of how well he did last year. Um, J.J. Redick, uh, yes, you know what? He's shooting 37.9% from three, but he went from just unguardable at the beginning of the season to now it seems like he's having trouble getting space and just certain shots aren't falling, and, and you don't necessarily want him to only be hitting threes. Part of his game is he can do a little bit off the dribble. You're going get to get him to be able to move inside the arc. And that might be where the larger concerns are, because I don't know that you can, ex- may- were you expecting Fultz to be much better than he has been right now? There have been possessions where it doesn't look like he gives a, a flying uh, two Fs on defense, but overall, is there anything that, that has happened this year with Fultz that has actually surprised you? Um, I think there was a lot of expectations for him to be much better than he was last year, especially among the Philly faithful. I mean, like everybody all offseason talking about Drew Hanlon and the shot and how it's going to remake Markel Fultz into his number one pick. He's going to be a you know miniature version of James Harden, and, and it, you know it's it was all talk. I mean, it, it hasn't happened yet. It might and it and it could still happen. I mean, he's very young in his career, but I, I think I think that. There's not much to like about what's going on um, with him, and it's just one of those things you have to be patient and give it time because they know that this is the best chance for them to reach their potential and actually become championship contenders. Unless a trade is on the table, and and you know that that might happen down the road. It's just even with that, like let's look at what Markel Fultz did last season, and the answer is nothing, basically. How I don't know why anyone would have bought into just that that hype. You know, maybe you should take the small victories where it's oh he's improved his free throw percentage by almost twenty points between this year and last year. Uh, he's I, I I mean like maybe those are small victories. He's actually shooting three pointers this year compared to the small playing time that we've seen last year. Thirty point eight percent from beyond the arc. Not something to be too excited about. At the same time, if he's going to give you almost two attempts per thirty six minutes, that's kind of an improvement from where he was. Uh, last year, he's shooting about yeah. the same around the rim, 65.6%, which is where he was pretty much at last season. I get that you want him to be better off the dribble and you, you want him to be more on offense, but what I just don't know what indicator there was last year, what harbinger that he could be remade over the course of an entire summer. And then there was the tweet from his trainer that said he wasn't even healthy right now that was de- deleted, right? I'm not making that oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that happened. <laughs> so it's we don't know what's going on there, and I'm not saying definitively that he's not a bust, but this guy is 25 games, regular season games, into his NBA career. We might need to chill. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think things would be a lot different if he was the 10th pick or the 15th pick rather than the number one pick. Well, uh, yeah, and just what they gave up <laughs> to get him, too. Tatum yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, the resources they put into it, they almost have to make it work. It reminds me of the Cowboys and Mark Cooper, and I know this is an NFL podcast, but you know, it, like they're going to have to force you in the ball to, to make that trade work. And uh, it's it's kind of similar to what the Sixers are doing with Fultz. They're they're going to make sure the ball is in his hands and give him the chance to kind of prove that trade uh, as the right thing that they should have done. Even the Ben Simmons concern is is weird because he's shooting fewer shots per thirty six minutes, but I don't really know that that's something we couldn't have predicted when you're talking about Markel Fultz getting actual minutes um, in this rotation. Uh, his his efficiency overall is down, but it hasn't plummeted. He's still shooting o- almost 72% around the rim. And since more of his shots are coming from floater range between 3 and 10 feet overall, it doesn't surprise me. He's not shooting well on those looks, 33.3%, but he has increased his volume from that area in the aggregate. It's not surprising that you would see his numbers kind of fall a little bit. Whether we want to talk about should the Sixers be at a point or should he be more comfortable running lineups on his own? Uh, As I said before, the the Sixers, when he plays without Embiid and Fultz, they're getting outscored by 11.9 points per 100 possessions. Uh, The offense is, it could could be worse during that time. The defense has been what's poor though. And, and maybe that would be the thing to point to is, did you think that he could be just a little bit more sustainable on his own this year? Or do you view those numbers or that struggle as more of a symptom of Philly's lack of depth? 
Uh, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, he'll be better as the season goes along. And it, it's, it's just really a slow start for everyone. And it could be a, a case where you have multiple players coming in, and maybe not him, but but other players as well, coming in a little bit out of shape. And you know this is the NBA where m- many players come in and they play their way into, like, peak shape. And, uh, you know, you, you wonder with this team if it's a if it's a case where it's just early. And, you know, they almost feel there's almost like a sense of accomplishment with this team, but they didn't really accomplish anything. If, if, if you understand what I mean, it's like it's, it's like the exact opposite of what's going on with the Nuggets, where they came in, they're hungry. like They came to play like business is on the table and they're ready for it. Whereas the Sixers came in, it's almost you feel like they're like, oh, we'll coast. It's, it's very like warrior esque. Like oh the regular season you know it, it's here it's there they they play well for stretches they 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 get out to commanding leads and then they blow leads it's but but they're not the Warriors you know they're the Sixers and they're not a right now they're not they're not anywhere near what they want to be now is that you were talking about that before we jumped on and you've obviously watched way more of this team than I have do you see conditioning or being in shape as an issue for them right now I, I think it was in the first for the first couple of games I mean. Uh, not every player, but there's a few players that, you know, I watched pregame. I was down there on the court talking to players. And you can see just some of them, you know, are, uh, you know, you, you start sweating a little more you, you, pregame. You, you almost feel like it's a, it, it, they're not, you almost feel like a few players are not in peak shape. And uh, I'm the one to talk. I mean, like, you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm running out of breath running, running up. Yeah, criticizing NBA player conditioning is just a slippery slope because even if there's a writer or a podcaster, just that, like an analyst, just didn't, the best shape of their career just probably doesn't compare to an NBA player on his absolute worst day. Oh no, absolutely. But, but I say that to only say this, it's, you know, as the season goes along, they're going to get better. And that's one of the things that will improve playing the way in playing their way into shape and also playing their way to, just to have more familiarity with each other and, and figuring out the right rotations, figuring out who should be playing and who shouldn't. And, uh, Brett Brown's making adjustments now and he'll make more adjustments later. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if they if they're around 500 at the 30 game mark, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Fultz, Fultz's minutes start to dwindle a lot more, and he ends up in you know like a 12 to 15 minute role rather than you know 20 25 where he's playing right now. Yeah, and they were. I was looking at this while you were talking too. Per unpredictable, is that they really like to just blitz the pace um, after teams made shots last year and after they forced turnovers, and they're just not doing that this year. Um, Philly and maybe again maybe that's just sort of this early season anomaly but they're um, after a team after they force a turnover Philly is right now I say this I should put this in air quotes but they're 13th in average possession time which is uh, way lower ranking than they had last year and then after a made shot they're eighth in average possession time in the league which again isn't they, they were just higher last year and so that's something that is kind of interesting to look at and Joel Embiid's conditioning has always been an issue but he's been spectacular just this season Uh, and maybe it's just a matter of these things need to come together because you're just getting Wilson Chandler back and I don't know how much he actually does for you though which is my primary concern I guess there and so he does seem to be coming in under the right mindset he you published a piece at Hoops Rumors Hoops Rumors excuse me where you spoke with him and he said this to you, just a little three, a little four, kind of a two-way forward, make open shots, defend, play off of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid when he was speaking about his role. And then he said, you really don't need to do much playing with those guys. And so it seems like he's at least coming in knowing that he's not going to be expected to do all this stuff off the dribble and that his role is to complement them. And just having that extra wing in the rotation, particularly with Smith injured, uh, that probably should help long-term. Again, the debut was just... Uh, it was 10 minutes, four rebounds, four fouls, zero shots. Uh, he was He's coming back from a strained hamstring, and those injuries are always kind of fickle. Uh, he's definitely someone I could see helping them, but when I'm looking at what their biggest struggles have been this year, and it's not even necessarily the spacing because they can create high-quality looks, but the, the extent that they have to go to to get them to where it's really milking Joel Embiid or – Ben Simmons doing all this stuff off the dribble. You're talking about how they don't have to worry about defending him um, outside of the restricted area, really. No one cares about giving up Markel Fultz jumpers. Chandler probably helps you a little bit there. 
I just don't. Is it someone who's a difference maker that could be a turning point for them offensively? Not. I'm not even saying a turning point for their season. But you don't look at the Sixers when they have Simmons, when they have Redick and Covington and and Embiid, and say, "Oh, they're going to be a bottom seven offensive team." Is this someone who can kind of help them turn the tide there? I think so. I think he'll help a little bit. Um, there's definitely more help needed, but he's going to come in. He's going to be a three and D type. He's going to, you know, he's going to defend well. Um, but it's, that's all after he gets healthy. And right now, he, I mean, they're going to limit him to ten minutes a game right now. And that's you can't really do too much if that's your if that's your minute restriction uh, early on. You almost have to get like more reps, more in game flow, and, and more familiarity with your teammates. And so it, it's going to be a work in progress. So you might not even see any real impact from him for another ten games or so. Because, uh, I mean, right now, I mean, it almost looks like, you know, back-to-backs aren't going to happen. Or, or they, they, maybe they can't. Maybe it's, a, you know, with the hamstring, it's just not a, it's not a feasible thing to do right now. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he'll help. But, it, like I said, this, this team right now is all about patience, long-term view. And uh, it's, it, it's definitely something that's going to come along slowly. Yeah, something worth noting, though, is he's only shot better than 35% from three once in the last four years. And he's not yeah. going to be that guy that comes around screens or handoffs and and fires up threes. I oh mean, no, exactly. I mean, career thirty four percent shooter. And he, he almost has more of a reputation, and that'll help him during the regular season. Now, once the playoff comes and and there's more, you know, more dissecting of the teams every uh, every game, then you know they're, they're probably going to ignore him. They're probably going to give him you know a little more space, and that's not going to help. So I don't, I don't think it's a long term option with Wilson Chandler. It's more like a it's more like a Band-Aid, a good vet, a good vet teammate. And, uh, you know, there's, there's got to be a move. they got to make a move if they want to make a run uh, this year. It, it might be. I'm wondering, and I don't know how easy they would be able to do this, but I've always wanted to see him log a lion's share of his minutes at the four. And that might be where he's just most valuable on offense and defense for them. Uh, he He's always kind of dabbled in minutes at the four, but he's, with the exception of, that first full season in Denver, uh, most of his minutes have always come at the wing spot, at, at small forward and even some shooting guard. And if they're maybe able to just carve more power forward time out for him as the season goes on, which it really shouldn't be that difficult. Uh, like Joel Embiid, your center, Amir Johnson's your backup center. If it takes minutes away from Mike Muscala, um, he might even be using him as a small ball five, might be something to... Uh, more heavily anyway might be something to look into as the year goes on if you can get to a point where you know especially if Saric isn't coming around and that that might be where the bigger difference can be made is if Saric just starts hitting shots that he was hitting last year this team's offense is a completely different animal but if that doesn't happen if you're dealing with a version of Dario that's going to struggle all year long maybe using Chandler at the four um, rather than as this backup to Robert Covington and you play them together uh, with J.J. Redick at the two, maybe that opens things up for them offensively a little bit. Yeah, and he had said that they had planned on playing him there some, and, uh, they, I mean, they, they will. The, the season will go along, but it, it's really hard right now when you're only playing 10 minutes, right? So you basically get one rotation in. Or, 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 or I mean, hopefully over the next week or so, maybe that'll, maybe that'll evolve and expand, and maybe you can get you can sub him in twice. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the thing right now is just to, you know, get him on the court and then worry about where he fits the best. Because I agree with you. I think the number uh, him playing at the four is probably going to be the best thing for them long term, uh, as far as this season goes. Look for as the season progresses, but uh, you know, it's something that they're they're working on. What have your early season impressions been of Landry Shamet? I was I, impressive. He's. I don't know. This doesn't. This is literally has nothing to do with anything. But I feel like every time I'm watching him, he's missing three pointers, and then every time I look at his three point percentage, it's just incredibly high. He's 18 of 47 from distance, 38.3 percent clip. Great for a rookie, and it seems like he's doing what what they kind of need him to do. Uh, but I, I, have you been that impressed with him offensively? Do you think he's someone who might be able to handle some of just the bigger assignments on defense as the season wears on? He is. 6'5", I know his position is basically supposed to be point guard, but that, oh, he's 6'4", but, you know, he's, I just, I, he was not someone that I thought was going to get all this playing time entering the year, and then you have the injury to Smith, um, and it seems like the direction they're going in with Fultz has kind of made things difficult on McConnell, and, and Shemet is at least someone who they can play uh, at the two and, and get away with, so uh, he's, it's just been, 
I don't know. I, I just wasn't him playing so much this season kind of caught me off guard to begin with. And then when I'm watching him, uh, I'm, I'm thinking he's missing all these wide open looks and he's just hitting these three pointers. So what have your impressions of him kind of been? Yeah, I think he exceeded expectations. And I think it's, you know, there was no expectations of him really making a, a dent in, in, in winning games for this team, but, he, but he's been a contributor and he deserves the time. And I think you really have to see how, how he plays on, on the floor. I mean, He's doing well with uh, with Joel. Uh, you know, they're, they're scoring almost eight points more per hundred possessions, and it's a like like I said, the whole team is a work in progress. But this is a bright spot for for the Sixers. Do you think that once, or do you even think that he will? I think right now they say Smith should be healthy, healthy sometime around Christmas. Do you think that he's going to one? Do you see him playing this season? Because it always seems like Sixers timetables get pushed back. Two, do you think? because of how the Sixers have emphasized their long-term plans, that he's going to come in and, and they're really going to – maybe they'll bring him along slowly, but do you think he'll become an integral part of the rotation? Does Schmidt have to worry about losing playing time to him? Is that going to make things more complicated for TJ McConnell once Smith is back in the – or enters the rotation for the first time? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, like with the Sixers, they always have this long timetable for uh, players to return. And, you know, with Smith, I mean, he's – you, you definitely want to see him on the floor if he's healthy enough to, to play. I, I just don't know that, that that's going to happen uh, right away, especially with how they handle and, and, and how cautious they are with their with, with their players coming back from injury. Um, I would I would be surprised if we saw him before the new year. Uh, and, and and you know even if even if he's deemed healthy, you know maybe maybe you'll see him in the G League for a game or two and then and call and, and then be called up. But yeah, I'd be surprised if you see him um, over the next couple of months. I just want him to play so he can ditch like the the Sixers the top pick curse type. Oh thing. no, that's like a you know it's it, it's it's a Philly thing now. You know we 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 don't expect our players to come in and play. You know it, it, we they, we give them like a year to come and get uh get acclimated and then and then they can win Rookie of the Year in the second season. Uh, Joel Embiid has been amazing this season. Uh, the he still gets as I said before this tunnel vision in the post, but he has really done a great job cutting down on his turnovers as we're speaking he's averaging 28.4 points 12.6 rebounds 3.5 assists 2.2 blocks per game uh he's sla- his shooting slashes are fine i'm just do you do you see his three-point percentage ever really going up he's getting a lot of these high quality looks or is he just going to be that guy that kind of you know he shot 36.7 percent during his first season, but that was only a 31 game sample size. And he's been under 31% um, ever since that would go with Sarge, not hitting shots with not really knowing what you're going to get from Wilson Chandler there with the limitations that Fulton Simmons have offensively. I I don't want to ask Embiid to do more because again, he's playing so well right now. And if we're going to, if we think that he's not in the best shape and he's doing all this, just, whoa, uh, but if he could hit the three ball with a little bit more, uh, with a semblance of consistency, that's going to be something that helps improve the six, Sixers' offense a great deal. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're going to see um, him improve the three pointer that much more. I mean, defenses definitely respect it, and I, I feel like in the first season maybe they did not as much, and that that, was, that, that kind of like helped with his uh, his uh, completion percentage. But you know, o- overall, uh, I mean, he's playing great, and if he you know, it, let's say he does get into peak shape and he does become, you know, even more dominant. Um, he's an MVP candidate and you can't really ask for much more uh, from that guy. Yes, he is. He's shooting. Thir- that's funny. His most of his looks have been wide open. It lines up perfectly with his three point clip this year. He's 30.8 percent on wide open threes. But he is. I think if we're talking about and this was something else we discussed before we hopped on the pod. If you were to, to isolate the top seven MVP candidates entering the season, Joel Embiid was not listed among them. And early on, you could definitely make the case that he has entered that conversation. The Sixers right now, with with the credence that voters tend to place in team records, they're not good enough. But it's also the East, a very forgiving conference. And so if they kind of go on uh, a nice winning streak or they just have a, a scorching hot stretch over the next month or just a few weeks he could easily the Sixers could easily enter that territory in the east where he might start getting more of that MVP love and he's going to deserve it uh the the offense has really struggled without him he's of uh, he's very he's still valuable defensively teams are getting to the rim 
noticeably less when he's on the court this season. He's he's become like this lifeline for this team, and there might have been this tendency. Maybe it was a slight one. Maybe calling it a tendency is a little too strong. But where people thought that Ben Simmons might be ready to usurp Embiid on the the totem pole in Philadelphia, or just as this star overall in the in the league. Where if you thought that who's more likely to finish the season as a top ten player, I do think there would have been people that would have said Ben Simmons. I might have been one of the people that at least considered saying that. And Embiid has kind of just put that to bed with how uh, valuable he has been to them this season. I mean, their net rating swings by 14.8 points in the wrong direction when he's off, which is by far far the highest mark on the team. And if that's going to be a trend all year, and if the Sixers are still going to end up contending for a top four, top three spot in the East, and who knows if they will, you have to put him among the primary MVP candidates. Oh, yeah, and I think they, they could still hover around 50 wins. And if they do that, then he's definitely in a conversation. And, he, I mean, he, he just belongs there. He, he, I think he's going to be a top-five candidate at the end of the year. Um, but it's really about the Sixers kind of riding the ship and, and, and winning more games and, and being able to put himself in that conversation. Now, he's doing all he can, and it, it really is going to come down to like the teammates around him to win the games because he can't do it by himself. They, have, they do have – kind of an important stretch coming up when you just look at they're playing the Pacers, they're playing the Hornets, they're playing the Grizzlies, they're playing the Heat. All these sort of, they're not all fringe playoff teams. I think you call the Pacers at, at the bare minimum a solid playoff team in the East. But those are oh, all yeah. teams you look at and say, entering the preseason, people probably would have placed Philadelphia over in the league-wide standings, and therefore those are games that they should win. If if they go through those four games and they're one and three or they're two and two and barely still kind of getting by and hovering around 500 the perception of this team is is going to shift because they're not supposed to be a squad that's you know getting embarrassed uh by brooklyn just trounced by them on sunday they're not supposed to be a team that's going to lose to two of two of three games against charlotte memphis and miami and that's kind of just the teams they're playing, Indiana's probably the closest the squad comes to elite over the next five games that they have, the final of which will come against Orlando, which if you lose that game, uh, you can commiserate with the Spurs, I guess. But that's just a little bit of an important <laughs> stretch to be like, can the Sixers beat the teams or measure up against the teams that they're not clearly supposed to be better than? You know, we're not talking about them playing the Atlanta Hawks and losing. Um we're talking about that. Can they beat the Charlottes and the Memphises and the Miamis? That's an important ingredient to their season, especially if if you don't think they're going to measure up to the Milwaukee's, the, the Boston's, and the Toronto's in the East. No, but they should beat those teams. If you want to talk about a team in the in a contender status phase, then you should beat Charlotte. You should beat the Heat. You should beat the Magic. You should beat the Grizzlies. You should beat all these teams. And if, if they can't do it, I mean, this is just proof that they they don't belong in that tier. Uh, Indiana, Indiana belongs in that tier more than they do. And I'm not saying Indiana is a contender by any means, but you know, like right now they're, they're just playing so much better than the Sixers. The Hornets, I think you can argue, even though they're five and five are playing better than the Sixers, which is, that's right. And that's, what's difficult to gauge about this team because of the immediate expectations is you sort of alluded to it before. Maybe there's a mid season trade afoot for them. They're not to this point. They've resisted. They didn't go all in on Kawhi Leonard. They haven't even been a factor in the Jimmy Butler trade sweepstakes, even though it's been reported that Butler would like to play for them. And there, there is a level of savvy there. Because one, Jimmy Butler, he's going to be 30 next year. It doesn't really fit your timeline. His next contract, uh, there's this propensity to do this with all these guys. Uh, you're paying them so much as they age that we're saying, oh, I don't want to pay them. But Jimmy Butler is a top 10 player. If you're going to add him at all, though, when the timeline doesn't necessarily jive with yours, you don't want to have to give up actual value to get him. Kawhi Leonard would have been way easier to justify from going all in on a trade. But because it seems like they're, again, gauging the importance of their big picture and trying to conserve their cap space, it makes improving this team at the trade deadline, outside of the buyout market, kind of difficult because you don't want to take on salary past this season because, yes— Again, even if you believe that your guys are the future, you want to see what your cap space can be parlayed into. No one thinks Kevin Durant's going to give them a look this summer, but what if what if Jimmy Butler does and they, and they want Butler then? Or what if Kawhi Leonard decides to give them a look? Or what if Clay Thompson decides to give them a look? What if Chris Middleton uh, prices himself out of Milwaukee and wants to give them a look? You don't necessarily want to mess with that flexibility that they've established when it's not going to mean that 
they're a championship contender. I don't think you even look at the Sixers and say they're a Jimmy Butler away from title contention because he's not going to fix. They need a lot of, I would say they need the most help off the ball on offense, and he's not going to necessarily make Ben Simmons all of a sudden have this jumper. And their defense, I guess, would be way better. And perhaps they are then one Jimmy Butler away from being a threat to come out of the East, but they're definitely not one Jimmy Butler away from beating the Golden State Warriors. No, that, that's correct. And, you know, Chris Middleton would actually be a really good target for them. I think, I think he would mess well. other teams in the league. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's, I mean, he's going he's gonna to be a max player, and we're all going to look at look around and, and say, hey, this is probably justified just based on market. But, uh, but you know, two years ago, you would have never thought, never, never thought that he was going to uh, eclipse that kind of contract. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, J- Jimmy Butler doesn't make this this team anywhere close to being the Warriors, and I'm not sure anyone is. That's really like that's really tough to compare them to. You almost have to look at like the Eastern Conference. Like, can you beat the Raptors? Can you beat the Celtics if they're clicking on all cylinders, which they're really not right now? But uh, you know, if you look at those teams, hey, if Jason uh, Tatum keeps Kobeing, the Sixers can beat the Celtics. Yeah, the Celtics. I mean, they're an interesting team, and you know, maybe we have to do another podcast on them because you can go, you can, we can do, we, we can go deep into Boston struggles, and uh, it's a lot, a lot of ISO there, and I'm not sure that that's the best way they should play. But what are you going to do? You have Kyrie there, and uh, they, they have some things to figure out. But, but yeah, I mean, the Sixers could, they, they could easily compete with them uh, if they got that one piece. But right now, they're not. I mean, they're not there. And um, I mean, Jimmy Butler would be nice. I think people underestimate Jimmy Butler a little bit. It's well, again, it's like this. Jimmy Butler is a superstar, and yet I can't say he's not. The market is going to dictate he gets a max contract. I just don't know if I'm the team that has him. I don't want to pay him five years and 190, and I don't. I don't necessarily want to give him even that four year max if I'm a different team. But you can't say that he is one of the eight to twelve best players in the game of basketball. Oh yeah, well, I think it depends on the team, though. I mean, if he if he goes to Miami, I think Miami's happy to pay that. I mean, they already have guys uh, locked in a long term deal. Um, they're definitely looking for win now. I mean, even though. You know they're not close to being contenders, but like they're, I guess they got the mindset on competing and 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 that kind of view. So uh, I think it depends on your team. But yeah, if you're a team like the Sixers, you definitely want to give it a little pause. Now, with all we've talked about, are you ready to hear my my trade idea for the Sixers? Oh yeah, I'm excited for it. Let's hear it. Um, and this is the Kyle Korver to Philly is just too popular of of a theory. And if they really don't want to take on any money for next year, Korver doesn't. Not that he doesn't make sense because he is. He, they could certainly use him on the offensive end, but he's guaranteed $3.4 million in salary next year. Very small amount, and then you can keep him if you end up not striking gold in free agency, and I'm sure maybe there's someone who's willing to take him at his $7.9 million full price point. But this is this would be an interesting one to me, and it's Phoenix has to realize at some point that they're not going to do anything this year. Uh, people have already said that they should, if, if the Wizards are going to move John Wall, that the Suns should be the team to go after him. They should not be the team to go after him because, again, they're not in a position to win. But if you're Phoenix and you start to realize uh, it's January, uh, which is just so happened when this player could be traded, and you have Trevor Ariza. He's on this $15 million expiring contract. He's this buyout candidate, and most teams aren't going to want to trade for him because they would rather make a play for him on the buyout market. If you're the Sixers, though, and you can give up Corkmaz and Jared Bayless for – Trevor Ariza, once he's eligible to be traded in mid-January, would you do it? It's it again. It's more money, and you're saving the Suns about four point seven million dollars in salary. Maybe they'd want a second-round pick. That's something you could talk about. But you're getting someone who can theoretically uh, help. Doesn't mess up your defense on the perimeter. Uh, he can guard some of the bigger wings. His three-point percentage has been not in the toilet, but he's only shooting thirty-two point seven percent from three in Phoenix this year, which. You know, Phoenix doesn't generate uh, the best looks in basketball. So if you're with Philly and, and we know they're generating wide open looks, he's someone that seems like he would fit and he's only on the books for one year and they might be one of the few teams that are willing to pay him or trade for him on that salary because I don't know that he's someone who would consider signing with them after he's bought out. If it's Trevor Ariza and you've made your money now this season, maybe he's always kind of prioritized his financial well-being, which good for him. But since he's going to have basically made that money, if he does get bought out, he might be someone who prioritizes a ring. And the Sixers aren't going to be that first destination then in his mind. It might be, maybe he goes, Houston has been popular. Or there's He could go to Golden State, who needs shooting off the yeah. bench. And if you're the Sixers, that would be an interesting gamble if Phoenix is so far gone um, once 2019 comes around that they would be interested in saving money. And again, maybe you just take that. The Sixers already declined that 
option on Cork Mass. So maybe they're just interested in having that flyer on this six foot seven inch guard slash small forward. I think no question. That's a good trade for the Sixers. It's the other side of it. Is that enough to to pry Ariza away from that team? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, they, the uh, the Suns wanted McConnell earlier in the year. And if you have to throw him in, uh, I think that, that completely changes the conversation. But if you're just giving up Bayless and Korkmaz, I think that's a really good trade for uh, Philadelphia. Would you do it with McConnell included there? He is going to enter free agency. And unless, I mean, maybe he'll just all of a sudden play a bunch. But if you're not going to play him, and you're really committed to Fultz, how much are you going to pay him then in free agency? I don't know that if this is talking about before the season started, I would think McConnell, no, I don't want to give up TJ McConnell when we're talking about Trevor Ariza. You only have his non-bird rights. He could leave in free agency. How much would it even cost to keep him? But if he's not going to play even 15 minutes a game, do you consider going McConnell and Bayless for Ariza if that's what the Suns want? I think I would want to keep McConnell on the team. He, he He's kind of like how Nick Foles is for the Eagles, right? He's that insurance policy and someone that you know you can throw in and he, he's going to get you some production, right? So if everything goes astray with Markel Foles this year, you're going to have to play someone. And, and, and McConnell can play with this team and the chemistry is already there and he's shown that you know, he can he can do some nice things for them. He's not going to be the star. He's not going to come on and take over everything. But I think you have him there for that role and that might not be worth it to you know, to, to kind of uh, shuffle the deck and, and make those changes. Now, if we're in January and Markel Fultz makes, makes a couple improvements and you're saying, okay, this is going to be a, something that we're going to, you know, consider playing him in the playoffs and consider, you know, having him uh, run these kind of minutes for a long term, then you, McConnell's expendable. But uh, until that happens, I think you've got to keep McConnell or some uh, semblance of a backup point guard on the roster. Yeah, I, I think I would side with you there, and especially because Ariza's not been playing well enough this season to justify it. I think he would be better with Philly, but yeah, when you know you're probably not going to keep him because he is someone who wants his bag and there'll probably be a team that's going to offer him more money than Philly over the summer, unless they decide, oh, we struck out on stars again. We're just going to go with one year overbids for both Reddick and Ariza. Uh, then maybe, but I think I would be with you there. And it, it's probably just more valuable to have McConnell's bird rights entering free agency because there are some teams that will need point guards, but I don't know that anyone's going to sign him with the intent to start him. Uh, maybe Phoenix over the offseason, but force someone to overpay him and make the decision then is kind of where I'd fall, especially because, as you said, Fultz is still a little bit of, of an unknown. And you are kind of getting to the point where you have to plan around having some of these cheaper options. Even I don't know what McConnell's market value is going to be, especially if his playing time is up and down all year. But you, you know, Ben Simmons is going to be extension eligible this year. Um, and Markel Fultz is going to be too far behind him. So as you, you're planning on playing um, Bolts and Simmons and, and still Embiid over these next few years and, and Sarich as well, you, you need these kind of cheap role players who you know fit, who you know going to give you quality production if they're called, called upon. And if you need McConnell as an insurance policy, at least waiting until free agency to see what he actually commands is probably worth it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, other than that, I mean, that would be a great trade for the Sixers if they can get someone like Ariza in there and they you don't have to give up too much. They kind of give up uh, really players that are not they have really no plan of playing this year or, or hope not to have to. Right. And I mean, if you're I think the bigger tick, I mean, again, you get the flyer if you're if you are Phoenix on Furcon, but it's more about saving the four point seven million dollars. Who knows? Maybe Ariza would give back more than that in buyout talks. I would bet on Ariza of all people not doing that so it could be something and maybe there needs to be there's other players that we could talk about included or whether or not Sixers could include a protected second or something but it'd be something I think they should explore because of the teams that could probably justify paying Ariza's full boat this year the Sixers to me would just be one of them because he's a way of sort of elevating your ceiling without really going against the grain of this big picture mantra that that you've been parroting since it seems since last summer i think they've just made it really clear that they're not going to go all in this season and someone like ariza that type of deal that type of deal would be a good hedge as we wrap up here um you're i don't even want to say it's amended because maybe you didn't have them too high to begin with but where do you kind of see this team finishing in the east now if if you if you were forced to choose and you are like what do you think how many games do you think they're going to win? Where would you reset their over-under? And where would you reset their their playoff seed expectations in the East? 
I mean, I, I still think 50 games is a reasonable goal for them to win. Um, now, will it happen? I mean, it's there's a lot of moving parts in this team, more so than a lot of other teams. But, you know, if you look at somewhere between, you know, 45 and 50 wins as 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 a more reasonable expectation on uh, for them for the season, I think that's I think that's fair. And, you know, that should land you somewhere in, you know, the four to five range. Uh, I kind of feel like the Pacers are probably going to nudge ahead of them and, and continue to be ahead of them and, 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 and drop them in the standings. But if you look at the Raptors who are, I mean, I think the Raptors uh, run away with the East. I think they're going to, I think they're going to win the East eventually. And then, uh, you know, the Celtics are going to round into form. And then you also have the Pacers and the Bucks uh, up there in the top of the standings. Sixers have a tough time getting a top four seed. Uh, so I think you're looking at like the four fifth seed as their, as their max. But I, I think at, at bare minimum, they're a playoff team. I mean, this is, a, this is a, there's too much talent not to be a playoff team here. Heads are going to roll if they fall out of the playoff picture at any point. It's, oh, yeah. yeah. Their record looks a lot different if you give them, if they're even two and three on the road or one and four on the road to start. So I, I tend yeah, to agree yeah. with you there. I don't, I'm not going to say it's out of the question because, again, we're talking about the East. I would be more surprised than I was over the summer if they finished with a top three playoff seed in the conference. Oh, yeah. No, I, I just think too many teams have put it together. I mean, the Bucks and the Pacers are, uh, they, they get they get a lot of credit. Uh, you know, you, you read a lot of them on Twitter and in the media and stuff like that. But they're just, I mean, they need to be talked about more. These are these are these are teams that have come together and actually are, they're playing beautiful basketball. Well, there you have it, folks. Some uh, Sixers talk with Chris Kraus. We want to thank you, Chris, for coming on. It was a blast as per usual. If you want to see Chris's work, um, he is a writer for Hoops Rumors. He has stuff published from time to time at CNBC. Uh, he is also a member of the NBA math team. Uh, so fists up there. Uh, follow him on Twitter at CW underscore Kraus, C-R-O-U-S-E. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey, spelled like it sounds. Hardwood Knox is at Hardwood Knox. You can follow NBA Math at NBA underscore Math. And please, 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 pretty please with four large Chick-fil-A cookies and cream milkshakes on top. <laughs> Continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. We really do appreciate it when we see those numbers go up. Until next time, everyone, I leave you with the obligatory shout-out to Kyle Anderson and no one else. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom. We do it right, too, by offering up to 20% off select toilets during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. Step up your style even more with floor tiles starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.